and thank you so much for tuning in to Stable Connections, the podcast. Today's episode, we are joined again with Lena Haug, who talks to us about her experience with the Mongol Derby and what life looks like afterwards. Hope you enjoy. Stable Connections is sponsored by Love is Rad. Love is Rad was founded with a clear and simple prayer, bring more love into the world. Originally founded as an apparel brand, it quickly grew into teens' summer camps and women's weekend workshops, with an emphasis on self-love and self-care. Find Love is Rad on Instagram at loveisrad.life. Stable Connections is sponsored by Riata. Their goal is to encourage you to be you. You are unique and Riata applauds your individuality. That's why Riata designs options that allow you to express your beautiful, one-of-a-kind self. At Riata, they want to bring out the you in you. Go to riatadesigns.com to order your sun hat with standout style. So we have back again, Lena Haug, (laughs) and we had her on episode 30. So she told us a bit about her background prior to the Mongol Derby, and we have her so we want to hear a little bit about your experience, how it was, hardships, whatever you want to tell us and talk about. All right. Well, there is a lot to talk about. And I do recall distinctly at some point, I can't tell you what day because all the days blurred together, like having a good chuckle to myself, thinking back to the podcast we interviewed together and just thinking if I could just talk to Lena you know, 30 days ago, (laughs) I don't know if it was two months, three months before the Derby, and just tell her to hang on tight and buckle up, and it is going to be insane. I would. Yeah, the, the Mongol Derby, it changed my life, and I may cry in this podcast because it was such a humbling experience, and it was also one of the wildest, craziest things I think I'll ever do in my life. And I was prepared. I mean, I... You know, I, I listened to podcasts, I read I read a book about it, I saw the documentary, and it was still, hands down, 100% more insane than I anticipated. And I think my mindset of not having expectations was a really healthy way to go into it. And also, I went into it, and I think we talked about it in the podcast before, of not necessarily riding to win. And that was also really, really helpful because I had the time of my life. I had a fantastic time and I don't regret any moments, even the near-death experiences that were pretty much every day. (laughs) God. Yeah, I feel like you went into it knowing it was going to be insane, right? And you were just trying to get as much knowledge as possible prior to, but there's only so much you can study before going to an experience like that. Yeah. The experience itself is is the experience. <laughs> it's hard to put words to it. There's a quote, uh, and I'll, I'll probably butcher it, but it's, words often fail to describe the reality, and words end up being the mind twitching after the dance itself. <laughs> Something on those lines. Anyways, I really like that because I have been doing a lot of talking and a lot of writing about my experience and I often will sit there and just have a feeling that I can't quite push out. But I think each of the stories, which I'll go into a few of them, really paint a picture of what the derby was like. And I can launch into one that I've been kind of practicing in my on my own time because I have a, a big presentation coming up. It was around day five and it was our second leg of the day 
uh, which means I had already ridden 25 miles in that morning. And I hadn't slept well the night before because it had been raining really hard and the gear that I was staying in, which is the Mongolian word for yurt, the sweet grandmother that was living there with her family, she had made a fire in the gear and I remember laying in my sleeping bag and it was like 110 degrees in there okay. and it was raining and it was beautiful, but I couldn't move. I couldn't will my body to get up and go get some water. And I just fell asleep thinking I was turning into jerky. <laughs> but like, I, I wake up is a puddle. Just dead. <laughs> and But I was so stiff and so sore and my body was just a, a pile and it needed to sleep in order to regain the strength to get back up and ride the next morning. So this is, you know, day five. I hadn't slept well. I'd already ridden 25 miles. And as I, you know, these horses are barrel. They are so <laughs> barrel. <laughs> and they're just ornery. And as I, I, I picked a horse, I grabbed some, I filled some water. The herders were saddling it for me. The horse wasn't too squirrely. I stepped up and the minute my foot stepped in the stirrup, he was already running and oh bolting. And he had his back bunched up and, but luckily he wasn't bucking at this point. He was just off like the wind. And my friend Kaylee, she's a rider from the East Coast, a US rider as well. We happened to be saddled and ready to go at the same time. And so side by side, we were bolting due west headed towards the horse station 14 and the two of us were neck and neck and our horses ears were pinned they were like side by side just racing one another and turning is a luxury stopping is not an option there is no brakes there's no turning and thankfully they were all hauling ass you know in the in, in the correct direction anyway my horse was very competitive and he bolted way ahead and as i peeked over my shoulder and i could see her you know her helmet bob away into the dust behind me and I just looked forward and kept riding and slowly I'd hear her horse's hoofbeats behind me and she'd catch up. We'd lock eyes for a minute, smile and continue on. And uh, it wasn't a couple minutes later that I, Kaylee just disappeared out from my vision out next to me. I looked back and she had, her horse had stumbled or something and she flew over his head, saddle and all. And I tried to rein my horse and, you know, watching your friend just go, full eject off one of these horses is not good tried to rein my horse and he just took that as to run faster and so we were out there was nothing i could do so essentially i had a good moment of like kaylee i hope you're okay i love you sending good juju sending good juju and then just move on and just mentally just continued on my merry way stressed out hoping that she was in one piece Anyways, about 30 minutes later, I look back and there she was starting to catch back up. Oh my God. <laughs> and we locked eyes and uh, when she got next to me and my horse had tired, so he wasn't bolting off away from hers at this point, but um, she was covered in dust. Her eyes were kind of wide and she said, yeah, he, he just stumbled over his own feet and saddle and her both came off. She managed to hang onto the rein and resaddle him and caught back up to me and holy shit she's lucky to be in one piece and uh i would have cried like got teary i just now thinking yeah. about that like i would have cried seeing her again just being like okay good you're good <laughs> yeah you're good sister yeah. yeah i was so proud of her and she's a brilliant rider you know everyone's got to be on their game at all times you're riding so well even when you're getting ejected anyways we, we chatted about it for a, a hot second, you know, body check, you okay? I'm okay, good. And we sat in silence and then just really mentally kind of moved on because ahead there was a herd of goats being guarded by three dogs. And anytime you pass a herd of goats that are guarded by dogs, you need to be prepared for a crazy dog chase. The dogs will launch themselves, chase you down and jump and grab the horse's tails or try and jump at you. And so, 
you know, from one moment to the next, you're just, you, you can't dwell on the past. You're no. just moving on one obstacle after another. And this was just one leg. This is one leg of 29 legs. Uh, we got past the dogs and we walked to the next horse station, swapped horses off on the next one. And I feel like that story just gives one little snippet of what a normal day in the Derby is like. <laughs> And it's not normal. <laughs> it's not how you're, I mean, you're in fight or flight mode, essentially. Well, that was the brilliant part is that this was kind of the day where my mind and my heart started to shift, where the fight or flight shifted to just pure acceptance. And this is where the words fail, but it ended up becoming a blissful, a blissful state of mind of pure embracing the unknown because there was nothing I could do about it. There was no fixing it. There was no training these horses, that, which they didn't need training. They were awesome. They crushed it. They and gave they, you the experience that you wanted to have and that you needed. That so, I needed, exactly. Yeah. And they survive out there. They're the only horses that can survive out in Mongolia, in, the, in Central Mongolia. And we were honored and privileged enough to be able to ride them and survive the ride. And so it was kind of this overwhelming chaos that settled my mind kind of like sand after a big dust storm it just settled my mind to this place of really accepting what was to be yeah that oh i couldn't even <laughs> imagine the feeling so the first what do you think truly shifted in you just acceptance or that experience specifically it wasn't that experience because that experience was just Another, another layer of my derby cake. It, derby um, cake. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. It was, I think it was just the, the, the time. So I know they have the 10,000 hours saying, but, and this was not 10,000 hours, but, yeah, but it, you're packing a lot of things in. Yes. You're packing yeah. a lot in and you're packing a lot of a kind of head on a swivel extremes and at some point you can't continue to try and process them you just need to accept them as they are and it was this process of of there was no such thing as good or bad or right or wrong or thinking in the past or thinking in the future i had i was forced into this presence that was there's no other word to say ever but very meditative of like true acceptance and it was blissful yeah and when you landed in Mongolia, what was that experience like? Like, were you still, like, super nervous? Were you just, like, going with it? What was the feeling? Yeah, I actually haven't... The nervousness never quite washed over me. The nervousness is now I'm feeling it more for public speaking. <laughs> <laughs> That's scarier than riding this feral pony. Yeah. I think I had a couple specific moments that I felt true terror on the derby, but landing in Mongolia was a total trip. The main airport is Ulaanbaatar's Genghis Khan airport, and it's about an hour outside of the, the capital, and it's literally just two runways in the middle of the steppe. Like, there is nothing surrounding it. There's one highway to and from it. I think they expected a lot more expansion in the city than has happened yet, and so it it's a trip. You feel like you're just landing in the steppe. <laughs> and then you take a taxi into t into the city. And the city, Ulaanbaatar, houses 75% of the population of Mongolia, which the whole population is only 3.3 million. So it's a very small population in a pretty large country. And the first thing that struck me was that the country smells of goat. 
Like the whole thing. The whole thing. <laughs> the whole, all the, the air smells like goat. Once we were out of the airport area in, in city, once we actually got bussed out to the start line, it was overwhelming. It started to smell a lot more like the, the foliage there, which is a wild sage and thyme and various other grasses that make up the steppe. And it is very aromatic and I want to smell it right now. So I was going to say in a good way, like those smells, maybe not goat smell, it's not my favorite smell, but the other smells sound great. <laughs> yeah, it, it, uh, It'll it was It will forever striking. bring you back there, probably, It will forever too. bring you back, yes. That's yes. cool. Is there anything, I know we talked a little bit about the food preparation, is there anything that you would do different in that regard, or something that, you know, did you drink the mare's milk and all the things? I'm glad you brought that up. Food was amazing. Okay, so food Yes. Once we were out on the race course, we were eating with nomadic families, which we just ate their staple food, which is lamb or goat with rice or in a stew or in a little dumpling. There aren't really any vegetables. Every now and then you see a floating piece of carrot and you just grab it because you're like, a vegetable! <laughs> yes! <laughs> or a piece of cabbage or a uh, potato. Otherwise, hot milk with salt is called milk tea. Uh, it's a staple. And then Arag, which is the fermented mare's milk, also a staple. And there's something to be said. The food I thought was really good. I, I enjoyed it. However, riding the derby is like running a marathon every day. A marathon runners probably would disagree, but <laughs> something on those lines. And eating meat or anything heavy like that just was incredibly unappetizing at some point around day three for me. And I had no appetite after that and what I ended up doing is all the families have these bowls of like candies hard candies wrapped in plastic that I would grab handfuls and stick them in my pockets and I basically just lived on candy which sounds horrible and my dentist would be very unimpressed (laughs) however it kind of saved my my gut and it wasn't because the food was bad or or that it would have made me sick it was merely the amount of exercise and endurance I was doing and I couldn't will myself to eat meat at that in those moments. So at night I would have a bowl of soup or eat rice and mutton. And I, l- I actually really liked Arag. It was refreshing and it was enough protein. And the milky tea with the salt was like electrolytes, which was very welcome. But yeah, I actually lost 18 pounds on the derby because I was just eating candy wow. <laughs> and burning probably something between 15 and 18 calories, thousand calories a day. Yeah, I'm shocked that you were able to sustain yourself with that but that works did you talk to other people in the race and did they kind of have similar feelings with that most people were really satisfied with the food no one was you know it didn't sit poorly with anyone i think a lot of people had minor gi issues there in the past derbies we've heard of horror stories where people had like full-blown like Rejection, yeah, poop rejection. <laughs> um, where people were like in a lot of pain and oh, having no. to get off their horses. Which, speaking of feral horses, you cannot get off these horses in between legs. Like, you get off, the horse will bolt and rip the rein and snap it, and you're gone, and your gear's gone. So, under no circumstances ever get off the horse yeah. ever. So, if someone's having an issue, which I'll be intimate here, I had on, I don't even remember what day it was, but my stomach was doing some kind of somersault and it was I could hear it when I was riding and I was on a pretty good horse he wasn't flipping his lid or anything but all of the horses tie really really well because when they're foals their mothers get brought in to get milked Mm. and they all get tied on a little line on the ground like a picket line 
And so all of the horses, no matter how feral they are, you can't touch them. Once they're tied, they stand like champs. They just stand tied. So I was playing this internal game with myself. Is it a fart? Is it poop? And at one point I was like, I only have what I'm wearing and I can't risk this. This little game is no longer fun and I can't risk it. So I happened to be riding by this like goat fence. They have these teeny tiny little corrals. It's the only fence you'll ever see. And I leaned over and wrapped my horse up to the, the fence and got off. And he stood there perfectly fine. So um, Smart strategy with not yeah, getting off. And then, which you would never do, like, on in a normal horse situation, you would never tie your rein right. to a fence and then get off. But <laughs> and then get this back is on no and normal then circumstances. It? Yeah. <laughs> it's like fascinating. But good that you even thought that while potentially, you know, having an issue. Yeah. <laughs> so that, um, that worked out really well. Um, but yeah, food, it's just hard to eat no matter what under the circumstances. Yeah. Did you bring your own? You were going to bring little things. Yeah. No, I brought two Snickers bars, but the oh. weight I, d- I opted to carry, you could bring five kilograms, which I believe is around 11 pounds total of gear weight. And that includes a sleeping bag, emergency, anything. So I brought rain gear, a sleeping bag, and like a teeny tiny med kit with like toothpaste, toothbrush, some pain meds if needed. And that was it. And I was actually underweight, but I realized I didn't want to have a bulky saddlebag that I had Mm -hmm. to deal with opening and closing if needed. So I opted for less things and that was totally fine. And I actually gave my Snickers bars away (laughs) as a little gift along the way. And I wouldn't suggest bringing extra food for anyone doing this. Yeah. It's not worth it. Yeah. Is there anything that you brought that you didn't need other than the Snickers bars, I guess? (laughs) I did not use, I brought some like KT tape and like medical things and I didn't need any of that. I also... I never used pain pills, which I was blown away. I'm very proud of my body. It held up like a champ. And I I just have to, like, I went on a run this morning, and I was just having this feeling of, like, way to go, body. Yeah. You crushed it. Well, you prepped it. <laughs> I did you prep did it. You did a lot of prepping. I mean, it was still a month or two before when we recorded, but you were doing your biking. You were doing your eating well. Like, all of the things that you prepped for. Yes, absolutely. And you cannot skimp on that. Your body is going through hell i have some physical ailments now which um like my back is a little out and my feet were numb for about two and a half months um just from after yeah just from posting for that long yep but overall in one piece in fact i ended up at a rave in the gobi afterwards (laughs) (laughs) tell me about that after the derby two days after the derby went to a rave in the gobi and my buddy and i he he came with me and he would do these, like, body... Ch- like, he would just stare at me, like, are you sure you're okay? You know, like, are you okay? Were you dancing, like, oh, hunched yeah. over? No, I was perfectly... Fine. I was... I was... I was great. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, but you're not supposed to be... Yeah, you shouldn't be great. Are you sure? I, um... I got kicked in the face, which is... Uh, day two, I got kicked in the face, so there was this joke that I'd had some brain damage, which I got very lucky with that one, but... Yeah. So, what happened there? Or if you want to talk about any times where you did get ejected out of the saddle and or... Kicked in the face. Kicked in the face. I only fell off twice. Uh, one just getting on, and this, I don't actually remember when that was, but the the main one was the kick to the face, and I had, this was day two. It was my last leg of the day, and I didn't have a lot of time to make the next horse station, which is fine if you don't make the next horse station by the cutoff time, which was 7 p.m. You can just camp with a family. That does involve a little more coordination as far as translating and figuring out water for your horse and making sure you hobble them because you 
and and or tie them to another horse because you otherwise won't be able to get your horse in the How morning. How do you hobble them while you're on them before you getting You off. try and get someone to help you to hold. So you try and find some. It, there's so many mini logistics that makes this all very complicated, but you try and ask a herder family, you know, some someone that you just meet along the way if they can hold your horse while you get off. And usually they know because they know their horses. Uh, they know they're feral, and, and so they'll, they assume you will probably want some help. But it's a three-legged hobble, and they actually all pretty hob hobble pretty well. But they can travel really far hobbled. So the key is to hobble them and then tie them to another horse that's also hobbled so they can't travel far. Interesting. And what does a three-legged hobble look like? Because I've only seen the front legs. At a back foot. <laughs> just with, like, rope? Yeah, so it's, like, it's already, they're pre, they're made, they're just kind of twisted rope. You attach both the front feet and then pull a rear leg forward and, and bind it as and well. And they can still get yeah. far like that. They can That's get pretty nuts. darn far. They can probably get about two miles away, which in the step, when two miles any direction is a lot of hiking, and you don't, and you want to get on. You don't know which direction. You don't know which direction. You still need to saddle it, and that's always challenging, and get on and and survive. So uh, all those add a ton of time in the morning. So if if you're camping out away from a horse station, you're likely need to get up two or three hours before you want to start riding to make sure that you can start on time. Yeah. Damn. Yeah. So, anyways, Nuts. back to what was the original question? Falling off. Oh, Kicks oh yeah, kicks in the face. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so the herder had handmade. This is I often would just hold my bridle up to the the herder and just say Hortan Mor, which means fast horse. And the herders at the horse stations they own the horses, so they know them really well. And he smiled and he went and got this horse. It was a sorrel. He looked really chunky. His feet were all cracked and splay, which made me think he hadn't been ridden a whole lot. And I was like, I don't know, this one looks a little, like, thick. I need a really fast one to get to this next horse station. And he just kept nodding, Horta more, Horta more. I was like, okay, I have no idea. I am just some gal here in Mongolia. I go trust you. Let's go with the flow. So they saddle him up, and I get on straight away, and he kind of trots off, a little hunchback, but nothing you know, nothing big. And my biggest mistake was I didn't just turn and go right then. What I did was I waited for a couple of other riders to get ready. So I trotted around and by the time they had hopped on, which is I like mind you like four or five minutes, not a long time. I hopped on or they had hopped on their horses and I turned and pointed my horse to go and he took off normal, but then he cracked in two. And I wasn't prepared because he had been trotting around and he was fine. He seemed fine that he was gonna just stick it to the sun. So he just stuck his head between his legs and just went to bronking. Oh God. And I rolled off his right hip and on my way down, he clocked me in the face with a foot. And so he ran back to the horse station. My other two friends continued on, which, you know, you can't wait for each other. There's no breaks. No, yeah. Well, and they probably, yeah, they couldn't stop. <laughs> they couldn't stop. So they kept going. I hiked back to the horse station, which it was only like a 16th of a mile. It wasn't very far. Did you do like a body scan? I did a body scan and I, I heard him kick me in the face. And so I was like, maybe I'm having an adrenaline rush and I can't feel what's going on. But there was blood coming out of my face, so I was mm. I was like, something's wrong, but I feel fine. So I just kind of jogged back to the horse station, and there was a medic there. There were four medics in the whole derby, incredible people. And she kind of summoned me over and was like, come here, let You're me like, no, see no, no, no. <laughs> what's going on. And I'm like, I gotta go. Yeah, <laughs> I no have time for Now that. I have less time. And so <laughs> she, she palpated my face, and she was just like, you were very lucky. Your teeth are all in there. Because you could see a full hoof print on my face. 
and my cr lip got cracked open, which was where the bleeding came from. And she said, be prepared for a lot of bruising, but you are ultimately okay. You didn't break anything. And so I, I hopped back on that horse and he was deranged. That same horse. That same horse. You have to, right? No, you can swap if you want to, but I was tickety-tock. Like, we gotta yeah. go. <laughs> it's already saddled. It's already saddled. Yeah. Let's go. He's already, like, warmed himself up. Yep. That horse did, uh, I think that leg was, like, 35 kilometers in an hour and 15 minutes. He crushed it, and I thought I was going to die. He yeah. ran hellbent for leather. We passed everyone. We passed the people that I had left, that left without me. <sighs> I passed every single person on that leg and I couldn't, we were going so fast and he was so deranged. I couldn't pull my GPS out to make sure I was going the right direction. So I would just scream at the people I was passing, like, am I going the right way? And then be like, a little to your right. And then I, I just went. And by the time I hit this teeny little village, I knew kind of where I had memorized, like, okay, from here I need to go a little bit this direction and then I'll make it to the horse station. Oh my God, that makes me want to cry just thinking about that. <laughs> it was so scary. And when a horse is at a full I mean it's like being on a, a runaway bike or train without brakes I mean you it's so scary and so he was bolting this whole way and to add to this the fear of this is I'd already seen a few people flip in these rodent holes there's a lot of rodents that live on the step and we were on this the course at this point was kind of like rolling hills and so we were flying up and down these rolling hills and i just kept thinking if he falls in one of these holes we are going ass break over tea neck. kettle yeah i'll break my neck and i'm gonna die out here so i was just going i need to trust that you know where your feet are and i need to get out of your way mm -hmm. i need to get out of your way as much as possible no controls fine i'm gonna just get out of your way and so i just kept repeating like just let me know how i can get out of your way better <laughs> would you say anything out loud other than screaming to the people <laughs> yeah. about directions, I went pretty uh, introverted Internal. on this yeah. one. <laughs> <laughs> just really heavy breathing. Heavy breathing, because also, you know, I did just get kicked in the face, and so I was also like, am I injured? Am I not? Like, I it was there was a lot going on, and I just had to hang on. Oh so God. I actually got a heart rate penalty on that leg because I couldn't slow him down. Ah, okay. And what that means is... In order for the whole race to keep horse welfare as a priority, when you came into the next horse station, the horse you rode in on needs to come down in heart rate to 56 beats per minute within 30 minutes. Mm. And if you didn't, if you if your horse is still elevated past 30 minutes, you'll get a two-hour time penalty, which just mm. means you have to sit out two hours of riding time. And I cannot deny it. Like, this, I deserve, like, I mean, there's not a lot I could do, but 100%, I that horse should not have run that far that fast. It was really, yeah. really outrageous. So I ended up having to sit to our time penalty. I think I sat it a few days later. Oh, you don't have, have to do it right away. You don't you have to do it right away. When. Yeah, and they sometimes they'll choose when, the, the organizers will choose when so that the race doesn't get too spread out. Because mm -hmm. or else you have medics that need to travel really far and that you need to make sure that that was not the case. So, so yeah, that horse, whoo, he gave me a run for my money. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. And your face healed up fine. It looks like now. It did. So and I great. didn't have a mirror the whole time, you know, and people would like shy, like they'd be like, whoa, what's wrong with your face? Cause it did go through a pretty aggressive rainbow yeah. bruising stage. And I could see my cheek out of the corner of my eye. It had really swelled up quite a bit. 
And um, after the race, when I got back to the Capitol, it was still pretty blue and That's green. where the pictures came from. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> At the very end. So I don't even know what wild colors it went through. But yeah, there was a kind of a joke, like the herders would ask. And then each of the medics and the veterinarians had interpreters. And so the interpreters would say, oh, yeah, she got kicked in the face. And they would all go, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's wild. A lot of people want to ask, uh, want to hear about like the cultural difference in relationship between Mongolians and horses and the whole lifestyle. Yeah. And I think that really created such a beautiful scene in between all this chaos was being able to step into a world that feels like something so in the past that we can't even conceptualize it here in the West. Mongolians that are nomadic really live in this kind of tent culture community where they support each other they live with their families and it's an open door policy so when you come up to a gear you, you never knock on the door you open it and you step in with your right foot and you go to the left because that's the area that for guests i mean even when we were all sleeping at night you might hear the door crack and someone might peek in and just kind of you know check out what was going on in there and that's perfectly normal and perfectly acceptable and i think it has to do with you know historically weather for one it's a, it can be very inhospitable weather wise in Mongolia but also you know inviting guests into your space to to help them and everyone helps each other out in that way and they're incredibly generous people you'd always be offered food drink you know shelter they loved then when we'd sit down and and kind of try and chat and play charades together um try and play charades, yeah, try and play charades. uh my mongolian's very minimal and also their ability to ride i mean there was one leg i was with two other riders and we were going through this mountain pass and it was getting late and we weren't sure if we were going to make it and we were trying to haul just haul ass as much as we could through this pass and these two kids came galloping up behind us they had seen us every a lot of the mongolians they'll have like a mono like a monocular it's like mm. a one-sided binocular and they'll see you and they want to come check out what's going on so these two kids had raced up bareback on their horses and they were like slapping the numbers on our horses backs and tugging on our backpacks and like laughing and giggling and was it to like try to distract you what is their they, I think they were just, just curious. Yeah. They're just playing. They're curious. They probably have no idea what we're doing. Yeah. Um, anyways, they would do these crazy racing laps up the mountainside and back down. And one, and mind you, they're bareback. They would, the one kid like slid off the side of his horse to graze his hand along the grass. Trick and riders. then like trick riders yeah and i mean we're riding their these types of horses and i know how feral they are <laughs> i know this and i mean they don't come off they are incredible riders and they love their horses in a way where it's like the horse is they live breathe and litter and survive off of the horse you know they, they survive off the mare's milk and this has been happening for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years and the honor and love that they have for the equine was pretty spectacular to witness, as well as just seeing huge intact herds, you know, roaming the steppe. And when they're needed, they're rounded back up. And then when they're not, they're turned loose. And I think the whole concept of us keeping horses and fencing was ludicrous to them, like cruel, criminal. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, that was, uh, that was pretty extraordinary to get to witness and, and partake in for 10 days culture yeah did you do any trading like when you would get your next horse did you do any sort of like 
gift giving or anything? Definitely gift giving. Trading and bartering ended up being not allowed, which mm-hmm. I'm glad that happened or that was that's part of the rules. So I did bring, I brought cigarettes and I had wanted to bring little pieces of art, but I, I didn't know where to keep them safe. Everything gets destroyed that you own and bring on the derby. Yeah. So I traded a bunch of cigarettes. They loved to smoke. Um, I brought American spirits that ended up being way too strong. <laughs> and so they would like take a puff and then cough and go, oh, like this is terrible. And which is hilarious. Because <laughs> it's like they uh, they smoke these very thin, long cigarettes and um, the, the American spirit was just like too strong. So they, they didn't really love them. But the gesture that counts you know so you made some friends along the way it sounds like too did you also make friends during like whoever was riding with you would you kind of team up yeah so we all get bussed out to an undisclosed area for start camp mind you the route and everything is still was still unknown until we got to start camp because they don't folded no but you still have no (laughs) idea like to this day i wouldn't be able to tell you where in Mongolia, we were exactly because our maps that we had would just showed the actual route, which is another story itself. But friends, I mean, these people were all there trying to accomplish the same thing. And it's it was like a thing that we would say is it's so wonderful and refreshing to be around people with the same screw loose. <laughs> For sure. Yeah. <laughs> you have to have some sort of screw loose to do that. Yeah. And uh, at finish camp, when everyone had come in on day 10, we had a huge party. And it was one of the funnest parties I've ever been to because we had, we've all seen each other at our, our most vulnerable, our most disgusting, our most wild and un, uninhibited. And so when we added vodka to that mix, <laughs> it was crazy. And it was so fun to just, just be a raw playful party version of ourselves all together and if I could just put them all in one room I feel like we would be at a reunion as if we'd spent 20 years together. So tell me about life after the derby so it sounds like you're doing some public speaking and all that kind of stuff so. Yeah post derby life uh, it certainly is a come down. I had the privilege again of staying in Mongolia for a couple weeks afterwards and then I traveled. I'm I Really, I'm trying to focus on getting back into my aviation world, but it's taken me a bit longer to settle my mind, and I've taken to writing a lot and writing a lot as well. (laughs) Um, I got back into training some horses for the last couple months, traveling in in short, like, three to four-week contracts for those. They're either starts or just development and teaching, but really trying to use this opportunity and this growth that I feel like I was given the opportunity for in the derby to kind of show up a a bit more present in my day-to-day life. I found that was probably one of the bigger striking things is when you slow down and, and use your time really consciously, you may only do one or two things in a day, but you remember them and you remember them all. And I want to move forward with that as like a, a big nugget that I take into my day-to-day life. So it's it's kind of been resettling. There's a huge high after the derby and a huge low, the derby blues. All riders probably can relate to it. And trying to kind of reframe my day-to-day. How uh, you do life. How I do life with those gifts incorporated in. Yeah. And what is it like for people to be reaching out to you to hear your story about it? Like, did you expect that after? No, and I, I'm i really excited. People 
<laughs> people will tell me like, oh, I'm, I feel like I'm hounding you about questions about the Derby. I could talk about the Derby all day long. I, I, it was so powerful and so incredible and I have so many stories and if you wanna hear it, I'm happy to talk about it, which I actually didn't expect for myself either. This experience was really something that I was doing for me, you know, and, and, and sharing all of the journey and sharing all of the growth from it is the icing on the cake. I think one of the things I'm going to be doing is going to the schools and talking about the Derby, but the way I want to frame it is about having a dream, you know, having, having a dream that seems out of reach and, and may seem completely just a dream and walking kids through my process of making my dream a reality and having come out on the other end and what that what that was like mm -hmm. have you looked into other races and stuff to do <laughs> well that's another very common question are you gonna do it again i i placed 14th out of 47 riders and if anyone asks me if i won i will say absolutely i won this derby for myself i did not cross the finish line first but winning looked so different by the end it was i felt like i got to reap the rewards of a win by coming in 14th in one piece and coming in even 40th absolutely <laughs> and every single person that rode rides in the derby is a freaking winner yeah. i am hats off to you all in whatever capacity everyone raced an insane race and to cross that finish line is an enormous accomplishment do you all start at the same time? Yeah, it's a mass start. <coughs> which oh is a god. mega shit show. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god. And do you start off the horse and then you have to go run? Like, what does that part look like? Everyone is on the horse and there's a 10 countdown. So oh some god. people are kind of like running circles for yeah, a second. Yeah, I was going to say, if you're on a horse that you can't stop, how do you wait the 10 seconds? It's, it's mayhem. Yeah. In fact, in years past in our year, no one was injured on the start line, but there cool. have been major injuries just from the start line because the horses are just, it's chaotic. Uh, but yeah, no, success on, on the fur, on the takeoff. I couldn't imagine, <laughs> you said 40? 47. 47. Mm -hmm. How many people finished? I don't know the exact number, it's like 32. Okay, so about 10 people either got injured or sick or something. And the injuries were pretty extreme and hearing about them along the derby, it was like you had to kind of put mental blinders on, you know, you'd come through a station to hear a vet chatting on the radio or or would share you know so and so broke their back and you're like I, oh god that sucks you just send a good well wish yep yeah i'm i'm so sorry because every single one of these people went to heroics to be here you know they they spent a lot of money they spent a lot of time training it's really far you can't do this race without prepping for it you know no. it's just you're gonna break yeah <laughs> Uh, in, me in body or soul. <laughs> yeah, or both. <laughs> or both. Yeah. But to, just to finish your question about other races, I at first said absolutely not. And I, and I don't think that I will ever ride the Derby again, only because in its way, I got to run the race I needed. Mm -hmm. And I had such a phenomenal experience. I don't want to, I don't want to try and win it by crossing the finish line first and jeopardize the experience I had. Yeah. But there are like the adventurists who organize the the derby they do a gaucho derby which is in argentina which i'm pretty interested in <laughs> and there's some talk about creating one in the u.s that might be fun to do as a pilot race however i would love to crew the mm, derby mm -hmm. which would basically be like helping along the route yeah yeah i was thinking about also like if i don't know if the because there was a photographer that i started following on instagram and stuff 
with the derby like when you would see the photographers or different feelings you would get with that yeah so we had I don't remember how many but a handful of photographers and a videographer the and the medics and the veterinarians all had interpreters and four-wheel drive vehicles because they need to be able to move around there are two helicopters total in Mongolia so there was no evac as far as air evacs they were all drive outs which is kind of scary but as far as seeing vehicles along the way it was kind of a welcome sight at times sometimes it was for me this is personal it was a little like I was in my own perfect little world and it would be a little frustrating to see a vehicle not frustrating is in the world it just um distracting distracting yeah. yeah to see a vehicle come by but i'm happy that now because i just got 12,000 photos sent of the whole derby and looking back over those photos whew, would not change that for the world because there is not a lot of opportunity to pull your phone out and take a picture no <laughs> did you have a phone on you I did, and I, I brought it just for photos. I don't have international on it, and so I used... I probably took 20 photos total. You didn't take photos of your face during the no. colorful process? I didn't. I didn't, and I kind of regret it in some ways, but again, I, I wish I could describe... My mom had asked me, what did you think about all day? I was like, there was no, there was no thinking. Uh -huh. There was just being. <laughs> There was just existing. Yeah, complete flow. Complete flow. And so when you got back, you, it, I, I don't know if you want to talk about this, but you rehomed your mare. Yes, and I'm going to actually go visit her right after this. Oh, cool. Um, yes, I just recently sold my mare, who I did most of my derby training with over the last few years. Fantastic little sorrel. And my reasoning for that is just to really free up my time and finances to get fully into commercial aviation and she I was very particular about where she went she's going to she went to a home in Healdsburg in Cal, um, California here and the woman is uh, she actually competed in the Tevis Cup many oh, many cool. years ago yeah and I think they're a really good fit so I'm yeah. excited to go visit them and, and see her in her new home and new situation but it certainly is a bit of a chapter change in my life as well yeah, no horses of your own. I do not own a horse right now, which yeah. is probably the first time since I was 11. Yeah, that is a big change, but you have other goals and aspirations. Is your You talked a little bit in episode 30 about your aviation goals. Are those still the same in terms of like small? You were talking about like how Alaska and different places have small commercial planes or whatever. Mm -hmm. So after after the derby, when I left Mongolia, I actually flew up to Alaska to go check out the small aviation scene. And it was great. It was very humbling. I think after my experience up there and talking to pilots, that it would be something that I would want to have quite a bit more experience under my belt before flying up there professionally. It's the extremes of the extremes. You know, you're dealing with bigger weather, bigger mountains, changes of weather and environment that happened very quickly and i would after that i have decided i would like to fly in the lower 48 before heading up to alaska and flying professionally up there yeah that's awesome that you did that to kind of know that before just jumping mm -hmm. in so what does that look like in terms of yeah here? I will be, so I, I'm based out of Sandpoint, Idaho, and what my goal currently is to get a my CFI, which is Certified Flight Instructor License, so I can teach, you know, for a company, and get 
about 1200 hours is what I'm looking to get before I could apply for bigger companies and something even even larger like Southwest or Alaska or United or something as far as passenger planes go is seeming a little more appealing at this rate which is interesting because I was very shy of that initially but I think it would be a great way to gain time and experience. Yeah definitely and those big planes are easier to fly than the small ones. I haven't flown a big plane, so okay. uh, as far as like pe what, what other pilots will say is yes, they're they're very autopilot, a lot of buttons, mm. and a lot of monitoring of buttons. Mm. Okay. And Whereas the other one is more of a steering situation. Yeah, a lot more <laughs> hand flying, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. Is there anything else that like you want to talk about or like advice that you would change or give yourself prior to anything like that? The questions come up if I would have changed anything in preparing for or my race at all. And I think if I got into the, the nitty gritty, I'd have to actually say no only because it's kind of like the butterfly effect. Yeah. If I would have changed something, I might have run the risk of not getting the experience that I needed and that I got. And in all the chaos in my gear. Actually, my gear held up very well. However, if I was to change something, I might not have seen the things I got to see. Even as, as small as I had a horse at a, at a station that I, it was the first thing in the morning, the herders had picked out this amazing black horse for me and he was looked like a thoroughbred. He was fast looking and waspy and deranged and wild and like a frothing creature. And they had him hobbled to saddle him. And the second they pulled the hobbles off for me to get on, he just bolted and took off with all my gear. And I basically had to wait like 45 minutes before someone came and brought me like a spare saddle so I could take off again. And all in all, I, I lost 45 minutes, but I gained this, this leg of, I was riding into rainbows for like two hours. It was like, there were storms on either side of me. I was in a sunny channel somehow. And ahead of me was just layer after layer of rainbow. And I'm in Mongolia, and if I was riding this race to have, like, not had that 45-minute wait and not been riding through a tunnel of rainbows for two hours, it would have been the same, yeah. you know? And so each of these tiny little mishaps, which weren't mishaps, led me to these kind of grand moments that if I would have to change anything, what if I wouldn't if I didn't get to ride through a tunnel of rainbows? Yeah. Cool. Well, let's go in. You answered this once before. I don't know if you remember your answer, but is there something within the community that you'd like to see evolve or change? And then are you helping with that change? If not, can you? Ooh. Do you remember uh, what you said the first time? I don't. Good. Cool. <laughs> Maybe you might accidentally say the same thing again. <laughs> the thing that I... I probably, I wish I would have been able to show the horse world from the Derby was riding by these massive herds of horses. And there was one point where there was two stallions that were just grooming each other hmm. perfectly at peace. It took me back a little bit and I was so happy I got to witness that because so often we get so tied up in our own agenda with our horses and you know, what their needs are and emotional, emotional situations. And, and here were two stallions. I don't know if they were related or, at all or not, but grooming each other in a big herd of geldings, mares, foals, everything. And horses are such 
such peaceful creatures, really. And if we could give ourselves a little bit of time to just relate to them as other beings versus with our agenda, I think that would go a long way for our relationship and our success with them. Yeah. Yeah, I think a big part of it with us humans is control, like controlling the environment, controlling the food, controlling this con- with the fences, with the, you know, Yeah. instead of just like letting them be. Good answer. <laughs> and then I don't know if I did this when I interviewed you the first time, but I'm letting people that I interview ask me one question now. Did we do this the first time? We did not. So you can ask me any sort of question you want. You, you know me a little bit, but... Not much. Any sort of question. How do you feel when people ask you about your equine goals? Mm. I don't get asked that very often, but if I got asked that, I don't really have goals. Like, I'm not really goal-oriented. Like, my goal continues to be and has always been to build a connection with my horse and I feel like we're there like trail riding by myself he and I like it's amazing so yeah I don't really if you were to ask me that right now I don't really have I don't really have like a goal or goals in mind in terms of showing or in terms of Tevis or you know anything like that I just my goal was to get out and trail ride with him (laughs) and that's what I'm doing so yeah I appreciate that what do you feel when people ask you that I feel like I need to come up with an answer because I'm similar to you. I don't have a goal. It's like, I kind of feel like it's, if someone was to ask you and your, like, romantic partner what your goals are, and you're like, I don't know, to be, like... To be happy? Be great together. Yeah, to be in love. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, I think there are so many avenues. I'm also not a competitive writer other than the Derby. Competitive you weren't even competitive. Writer. No. And I, I would say that the race itself isn't that competitive. Mm-hmm. It's, it's survival. survival. Yeah. Yeah. But as far as the goal, I love, I'm on the same way. I like connection, growth. Like, yeah. how can I show up authentic and, you know, bright and brilliant for my horse? I think that's enough of an answer. I don't think you yeah. need to have more of an answer than that. It, at well, least to go. me. Good. Yeah. Well, uh, we cool. can agree on that. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you for chatting with me again. Of course. Hello again, and thank you so much for tuning in to Stable Connections, the podcast. This is your host, Shauna Burke. And if you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, don't forget to tune in every Monday morning for a new episode. Follow along on Instagram and on Facebook. And we have a Patreon. So visit patreon.com slash stable connections, the podcast for sneak peeks and extra perks. See you next week.